Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I didn't of course. Sing, you didn't sing it. I didn't sing it that I time. I didn't. So. Well, you know, I like to mix it up. I like to keep yeah. it spicy around here. Yeah, right? I never know what you're going to do. So <laughs> that, that, That's true. <laughs> that's true. And I never know what you're going to call me. Right. Or well, whose fair, name fair you're going to call me. Fair point. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Brian, welcome back to Bistro. It's so glad to be back here. Yeah, it's good to be back. And it's, you know, the third season now. And we've actually got our first guest of the third season. Yes, we do. I don't know if you knew that or not. He, It's a, it's a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So. We've had some wonderful guests, but Brian, introduce us to our, our, this, our guest today. This is Jody Owens, Dr. Jody Owens, who's uh, actually been recommended to us by a couple of our longtime listeners. Uh, he does some uh, some learning retreats. In fact, he's got one coming up on First Samuel, so we're asking him, or it's actually on the David narratives, right? Am I, am I saying that Correct. right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. And so he's got one of those coming up, and so we've asked him to talk a little bit about some of what, we, how we should understand First and Second Samuel and David, and he's going to do some really cool things with that. But uh, uh, Jody, it's good to have you with us on the on the bistro. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, great to be here. And gosh, what a privilege to be the first guest in the third season. <laughs> the third yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. Well, so who knows? That's outstanding. There may be some other. There may be some other first you get. You I don't get know. A who, who knows? Bronze medal. <laughs> All right. Get, yeah, I, I'll take it. I'll you get take something. It. Yeah, anyway, the yeah. the the uh, yeah. So it, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jody, uh, so our, our listeners can know who you are and what you do and that sure. kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I grew up in South Georgia, but I've been living in East Tennessee now for about thirty years. So I guess I'm an East Tennessee boy, <laughs> and uh, came up here originally to study uh, for ministry. And uh, worked on a master's degree at Johnson University. And the best okay. thing that came out of that is that I met my wife here. And uh, <laughs> we settled down some roots. And uh, I went into uh, to preaching ministry and was a pastor for uh, 10 years. And okay. thought that was going to be the trajectory of my life. All of my graduate training was practical training. Uh, an MDiv and a DMIN and an MA in preaching, and uh, thought that was going to be my life. And then I got a call uh, one day from Johnson University, and they asked me to teach some courses. And that went well enough that they asked me if I would be interested in, in going on full time. And I really cool. had yeah. never thought about, I mean, I hadn't planned for that. I think right. in my heart of hearts, I'm still a pastor. Uh, but right. I thought this would be a unique opportunity to train pastors. Sure. So I transitioned to teaching at Johnson University, and and I'm kind of the utility guy. I've taught a little bit of everything, okay. uh, but mostly uh, in Bible and theology in the old area of Old Testament, uh, and okay. then at the graduate level, I, I teach spiritual formation courses, and I've okay. been doing that for for 20 years. And uh, so, yeah, we've lived here on campus at Johnson. Uh, this is the only life my 17 year old daughter has known, uh, and it's it's been Very good. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you've been, how long you've been teaching again? What'd you say? How long? 20, 20 years. 20 years. Uh, wow. Full time. Yeah. I had okay. about four years of adjunct work before sure. that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I thought when I started teaching at Johnson that, uh, my 10 years of ministry experience was really good preparation to teach at a place that trained ministers and missionaries. Right. And it was, right. but now I'm realizing after 20 years, uh, in academia, that my 20 years in academia has actually been good preparation to minister to ministers mm, because okay. I've had I've had time to 
I've had 20 years to reflect on 10 years of ministry and nobody in ministry gets that privilege. (laughs) Right. Uh, You've got to do the next thing. So yeah, that's kind of a season in life where I am, where I'm trying to pour back into Christian leaders. Yeah. We'll hear some more, more, some uh, more about that a little bit later. I'm that that's, I'm excited to hear about that too. So um, you, you, now you said you haven't you done a degree in church history as well, or did I did I misunderstand yeah, that? No, or, that's okay. right. Yeah, okay. my my MDiv has a church history concentration, and, okay. and my master's thesis was on John Wesley's missionary journey to Georgia. And, <laughs> okay. and oh, so, wow. My, my, okay. Yeah, it, it was pretty exciting. I'm from Savannah, where he, oh, he okay. served, and so I was able to dig into some of those old diaries and things that right. a lot of folks really haven't explored much. So that was fun. Right. So you, when you say you're you're kind of a utility player, you you teach all kinds of different courses, but primarily now you focus Old Testament theology and Christian spirituality. Yeah, yeah. yeah? I okay. usually teach uh, three undergraduate Old Testament courses each semester. Okay. And my grad okay. work wow. is all in spiritual formation, but but my undergrads Old Testament for the most part. Okay, very cool. Well, you've got a retreat coming up, and, and in fact, I'll go ahead and say uh, Ryan and I are planning to be a part of this. Um, we're excited about it. Uh, you're you're talking about the David, David narratives in First and Second Samuel at, at the retreat. It's kind yeah. of the, it's a learning yeah. retreat. Um, going to be in uh, Southern Indiana at a really nice retreat center there. So we asked you to come and kind of tell us a little bit. We said, what are some things that might be really interesting about that material? And you teach that in 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 college as well, or or. Seminary. Yeah, we yeah we've got a course that is designed to uh, introduce students to biblical narrative, especially okay. Old Testament narrative, and uh, so we've got one course in Genesis. Uh, I teach this one in over the books of Samuel. Okay. We're developing a couple of others, but we're trying to trying to hit the the high points in the narrative, and, and really, I think goodness, if you're looking at Old Testament stories. <laughs> to understand Christianity, you've got to know the story of Abraham, you've got to know the story of Moses, and you've got to know the story of David. That's true. And yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I've taught this this course on the David narratives for about four years now. And I didn't know what I didn't know about Samuel until <laughs> I started to develop an entire sure. course on it. I, I had taught okay. units in, in some of our other courses, but... Uh, Goodness, I just, uh, you know, it's not until you take a deep dive that you realize sure. how rich material really is. Okay. Yeah. Well, give us well, some... I mean, that, that's everything, I think. You know, yeah. for, for, you know, conversations sure. Brian and I have had on here is like, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, and it's, you know, <laughs> learning from people that have di- yeah. that have dove into the scripture and, and to yeah. see that stuff, you know, it's really kind of helps unlock those things. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Excited <laughs> to hear. So give us a couple of nuggets. What did you, what did you find out when you started uh, digging into the scriptures there? Well, well, one thing I, I knew from teaching introductory courses, but really came to appreciate at a deeper level, was was just paying attention to the type of literature that that we have. And most Protestants think of books like Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings as being historical narrative, right? And they are, but they're a particular kind of narrative. Uh, and, and what really helps us with this, I think. Is, uh, is understanding the way the Jews saw this material. Mm. Uh, in, in the Jewish uh, canon, in the Jewish Bible, their, their, their Bible is basically divided into three parts. There's the Tanakh, uh, which is, is the acronym for the entire uh-huh. Jewish Bible. And the T right. in Tanakh stands for Torah. Uh, so okay. that's the first five books, what we would call the, the Pentateuch. Right. The N in Tanakh stands for the Naveen, that's the prophets. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then the third section is the Kitavim, uh, the writings is the way we would translate that. So the Jewish Bible is made up of the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. And okay. right off the bat, you notice there's not a section called the history books. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and uh, so you ask, well, where does a book like Samuel fit? And I ask my students this, and they're all surprised to find out that the book of Samuel fits into the section known as the prophets. Prophets, yeah. It's in mm, that yeah. center section. Yeah, uh, and more specifically, uh, it's grouped together with four other books that uh, are really kind of viewed uh, as, as a package, uh, like four okay. volumes that go together, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Those okay. books are called the former prophets. Okay. And then you have the latter prophets, which are books that we more typically think of as being prophetic. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, sure. and yeah. the book of the Twelve, which is the minor prophets. Okay. Uh, so we, we get that those books would, would fit in there, but we sometimes fail to realize that the Jews thought of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings as in some way being prophetic. Right. Um, um, no, or or a, maybe a better way to say it, because that word prophetic is loaded sure. for us. Right. Uh, you know, the Old Testament folk, both the authors and the readers, understood prophecy not primarily as predicting the future, right. but mm -hmm. primarily looking at their context and seeing where Israel was or was not being faithful to the covenant. Okay. We would call that preaching. <laughs> you know, you, you point <laughs> right. right. You, you point you point out where where the people are being faithful and where they're being unfaithful. Okay. Uh, so but kind of prophetic in the sense of saying, you know, here are the ways, here are the things we need to straighten out, kind of thing. That that's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. And and so that history is recorded from that prophetic theological mm. perspective. Interesting. Uh, okay. It's not. It's it's different from the kind of history that that we read. You know, right. we're interested in things like chronology. We're interested right. in things like making sure all all the facts line up, you know, right. precisely. Whereas the biblical authors, uh, the biblical prophets who wrote this material, sure. they're more interested in writing in such a way that their their audience is deeply formed by what they've read. Mm, okay. They're less hmm. interested in a precise chronological kind of accounting. Sure, and, and so they're. All so, kinds so of they, implications of that. Okay, so they might arrange material in a different way for it to have a different kind of impact. Okay, yeah, we, yeah, we can't yeah. I mean, yeah. for sure. And you see that especially in a book like Judges, which pretty sure. clearly has a thematic yeah. arrangement and not a strictly chronological arrangement. Right. But that's also true in, in Samuel. Yeah, we can't, we can't take a modern biblical criticism and right. a, or, or historical criticism as we would have it today and apply it strictly to these books. Like this book had a different meaning than just straight history, how we would define right. it now. That, that's that's right. It was yeah. written to to form people uh, huh. into a certain kind of folks, and, and most scholars think that the former prophets came together as a unit. Probably sometime during the Babylonian exile. Okay. Uh, at the okay. earliest, because obviously you can't write the book of Kings until the last event happens. Uh, right. And so yeah. Jerusalem has the fall. So they're, so they're, in, they're in exile. Uh, so right. you, you, you think about then that audience that was reading the first book in, in the former prophets, Joshua. 
And what are they reading? They're reading about a group of Israelites who desire to enter into the promised land, and and they're giving examples of how that group of Israelites failed in some ways and is faithful in other ways. Well, here you got a group of people that are in exile in Babylon hoping to return to the promised land. And in mm-hmm. some ways, their their situation is analogous, okay. uh, and uh, so it really helps us to understand why these books were written and, and when they were written, uh, and to see those four books as a as a unit. That's great. Wow. Well, so, what are can, yeah. can you give me a couple of examples of things that that you notice because of that, because of thinking of them in that way that we might think of differently? Well, yeah, yeah. A couple of things that, that come to mind. One, one is pretty powerful. In, in our Bibles, the order of the books is different from what we okay. see in the Tanakh, the Jewish arrangement. Okay. So in the Tanakh, it's Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. We, in our Bible, in our Protestant Bibles, we've got another little book inserted between Ruth, Joshua yeah. and, and Samuel. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it makes sense. Why it's sure. put there? Because that's where you know the book of Ruth ends with the genealogy of David. So it right. makes sense chronologically to fit there. But it does interrupt the flow of okay. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings and could prevent us from seeing some connections that okay. I think are important connections. Huh. Uh, for example... The last judge that we read about in the book of Judges is Samson. Uh, There's an epilogue, a long epilogue at the end of Judges that makes up the last chapters. But but the last judge we read of is Samson. You can compare the birth narrative of Samson in Judges chapter 13 with the very opening chapter of Samuel, Samuel Samuel, chapter 1, and the birth narrative of Samuel. And the connections there are stunning. And it Mm. it would be easy to miss some of those connections if you just go from reading Judges to the book of Ruth. That material is not going to be quite as fresh in your mind uh, as it would be if you've gone straight from reading Judges to the book of Samuel. So you see, you know, both those narratives start out by saying there was a certain man from, and and then we're told that his wife is barren Barren, in both cases. Then there's a, a miraculous intervention, and, and and the wife promises to devote her son huh, to to yeah. God. So both Samuel yeah. uh, and Samson are Nazarites, mm. devoted to God. Yeah. Well, if you've just read the story of Samson, and you saw how he did not take his Nazarite vow seriously <laughs> at all, right. I mean, I don't <laughs> know why. <laughs> How things ended up for him. Right? That's right. Why in the world we put Samson on T-shirts and celebrate oh, him? I'll have no idea. He's a horrible guy. He's a skirt chaser. <laughs> He's terrible. So, yes. you know, that that his whole story is written in such a way to make right. it clear that he breaks every one of the Nazarite vows. Right. So that's the last story you read about a judge in the book of, of, of uh, Judges. judges and then you, yeah. Samuel opens up that way. And you think, I know how this story goes, and it doesn't end well because it sounds the same. And then suddenly there's a turn. Yeah. Okay. And you end up with a strong contrast between Samson, who had no interest in really pursuing God and fulfilling his Nazarite vow, and Samuel. Notice the similarity between their names. Sure. Um, Samuel, who was so devout, 
so devoted to Yahweh, kept his his Nazarite vow, uh, and and so you really only understand the Samuel story, uh, the story yeah, of the prophet Samuel. That's interesting. If you've got in the background the the right. uh, the story of, of Samson and Judges. And uh, so Great. that that close proximity of those books, and to see them as a unit, to understand this material w- was written to be read together. together. Like you would, mm. yeah, like you'd read Lord of the Rings. You know, you don't you don't right. just read the Fellowship of the Rings. You got to go through all three volumes <laughs> right. to, to get the whole message. Uh, and, and that's how these four books were intended. But we don't even view them as a unit typically. Right. And we don't see them as in some way being prophetic or theological. Huh. We view them more as history. And then we've right. got Ruth inserted in the middle that kind of breaks the sure. continuity, even though it does make sense chronologically. Right. This kind of reminds me of uh, Luke-Acts, you know, yeah. that we've got John smack dab right between Luke and Acts. And like, yeah. those go together like it's this one <laughs> continuous story. And right. I, I have right. never heard what you just said, that, yeah, that was Samson, good. I, that's interesting. Samuel thing. Like, yeah, it's kind of blowing my mind right now to think about, like, that there's this the continuity that, again, just to order the Bible or how we have our Bible, just how mm-hmm. that breaks that narrative. Um, and to see that connection is, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and and, and we don't know exactly when this ordering took shape for the Jews. Sure, but yeah. but it's pretty early, and, and right. my guess is that that if you uh, were to ask the New Testament Christians what order are you reading these texts in, it would probably be much closer to the Tanakh arrangement. Sure, than than yeah. anything that we read today. So again, I, it's I, the same scriptures, yeah. just the order is yeah. different. I think we get hints of that in 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 the Gospels, for example, that there are hints that they're using those orderings that that we're that are dif- different than than ours. Mm-hmm. Ours, really, I, I guess, I'm I'm thinking now. Just this is just off the top of my head. It's really not until we get to the to the Vulgate, right, that we we begin to get the ordering that we have, right, the Latin translation that's, of the of the Bible. That's right. So that's right. Okay. Yeah, and, and you're right. In the Gospels, Jesus will often say things like, you know. Uh, he'll refer to the law, the prophets, and sometimes he the says Psalms. the Psalms, yeah. which yeah. is the first book in the writings. So to say biggest, Psalms right. yeah, yeah, is kind of the shorthand way of saying the writings. So he refers sure. to the, those three units uh, of the Tanakh. So I, I think that's what he would be familiar with. Right. And, and they would read those four books, the former prophets, as, as a unit. And so when you come to Samuel— it's really, really helpful to put it in yeah. that in that context. Well, I'm like you know, I'm like Ryan. I'd never, I had never thought of it. as soon as you said the the parallels of Samson and Samuel. I'd never heard that, but then you're like, oh yeah. I mean, it's so it seems so obvious after you point them out. I mean, that's that's great, good stuff. And, and, yeah, and, and for me, also thinking in Babylonian exile, yeah. like this this narrative of like. Yeah. Faithfulness, not faithfulness, and like th- th- painting this picture of these yeah. people longing to come to yeah. come home to back to the promised land. It's yeah, yeah. and, and cool. the whole story starts there with a people who've just come out of exile are heading into the promised land, but then you get to see all their mistakes along yeah. the way, and uh, so the the Israelites in Babylon are obviously supposed to learn the lessons uh, and not sure. make the same mistakes. That's good. Yeah, the you know I've always I've always seen judges kind of as from a from an exile perspective, kind of like well, here's how we got here. Here's the here's the problem with how we got here. But I yeah, I like that that it's kind of saying also here's how we can re-enter. Here's the things we need to think about when we go back into the promised land. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to think of it. 
I, I think and, something else that's really interesting about seeing these four books as a unit um, is, is recognize the heavy influence on these four books that comes from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, mm, okay. sometimes these the former prophets are sometimes yeah. called the Deuteronomistic history. Right. Uh, and they're referred to that way because uh, De- Deuteronomy uh, has such a heavy influence. It, it's almost as if whoever wrote these four books just finished reading the book of Deuteronomy uh, <laughs> right. and then said, okay, now I'm going to record a history of, of Israel from the time of Joshua up until the time of the fall of Jerusalem for these people in, in Babylon. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a couple of things come to mind there, but uh, the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy sort of lays out sure. this idea that if if Israel is faithful when they enter into the land, they will prosper and it will go well. Right. And if as a people they reject me, then they will fall under the curses. Well, that's exactly what unfolds in the history. Right. Yeah, but relative to Samuel, the place where it really shows up uh, is is uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. We find instructions and guidelines for all of Israel's officials, uh, judges, right. okay. priests, prophets, and ta-da, kings. Kings, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> even so, though there are, even though there aren't any, at that time. even though there aren't any, they're <laughs> anticipating that they right. that they will. And of course, Samuel, the prophet fulfills the role of judge, priest, and and prophet. He really holds right. all of those. The one position he doesn't hold is king. Right. And then mm-hmm. he anoints the first two kings. Sure. But 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 the guidelines for the king back in um in Deuteronomy chapter 17 are fascinating. There there are three or four prohibitions and then one positive admonition. And that material really shapes the way that you read the account of David and Saul uh, in, in the book of Samuel. Huh, okay. Mm. What are the, yeah. Do you remember those prohibitions off the top yeah, of your head? I'm yeah, sure you well, do. One, <laughs> sure. One is they can't be a foreigner, uh, so they have right. to be an Israelite to be, to be king. Uh, they can't accumulate too many uh, wives. Too many yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, which, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the question is, well, how many is too many? Um, but the the, the, the issue I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not gonna no. Say, I'm not going to say one. That's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, don't know how many, I do not know how many angels sit on the, the head of a pen, and I don't know how many wives is too many. Um, right. but, but the point there is it, that's not a prohibition against polygamy. It, it's a prohibition against acting like a pagan king. Because right. the pagan kings commonly, uh, one of their signs of, of their power was they accumulated a huge harem. Yeah, and and political connections, right? Through That's the, right. Through the mar- you know, political marriages. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that you know that that really comes into focus in the story sure. uh, of Solomon. Solomon, um, yeah, yeah. But it, but it's obviously important as well for, for David. Yeah. So anytime yeah. you read that David, you know, takes on another wife or two, you kind of raise an yeah. eyebrow and think, mm, okay, is he getting close to whatever too many is? Right. Um, huh. So one is don't, don't acquire um, too many wives. And you're right. That relates directly to political marriages. Sure. You know, they're, they're relying on treaties with others and arrangements with other tribes and groups and nations to secure their own power. Mm. And the second one is don't accumulate a lot of horses. Uh, 
Horses, and it's not yeah. that God hates horses, but what he's prohibiting there <laughs> is military might. Uh, military you know, power, yeah. Yeah, horses yeah. pull your chariots. And, and the idea is trust in God, not in your own military strength. Right. And then right. lastly, don't accumulate a lot of wealth. Well, right. all of those, you know, lots of political marriages, uh, military strength, accumulating a lot of wealth, all of those have to do with trying to find some kind of source of security and strength other right. than Yahweh. Huh. And yeah. so that that's the primary concern. So the question is, are the, the kings are really called to trust in God? Right. Are they going to do that or are they not? And then the huh. first two kings, it's a study in contrast between Saul, who repeatedly does not put his faith in Yahweh, and David right. who repeatedly does, even though right. David uh, from time to time blunders significantly. Um, sure. Ultimately, he puts his, his trust in God. And then the, the last uh, command in there is actually a, a positive thing that the king is instructed to do. He's told to write down a copy of this law right. and keep it and read it daily so that right. he can lead the people well and he won't think too highly of himself. Right. Well, I mean, when you read a passage, when you read the story of Saul and Samuel shows up and asks, well, where is Saul? This is after Saul has committed one of his great sins. And the people say, he's gone off to build a monument to himself up at Mount Carmel. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where's he putting his trust? And is he thinking of himself right. a little too highly? Well, yes. And that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy and where sure. you get this picture of this is what the ideal king should look like. Right. Interesting. Mm. That's good. Wow. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting how this all plays together. You know, like this whole, you know, the Deuteronomy informing so much of what we see, you know, the, the yeah. strong connection, all this stuff. And then again, how this all plays out especially reading this as the prophetic, you know, reading, thinking about where it sits historically, looking back, but then looking forward at the same time, like how do we live once we come back in the land out of right. Babylonian exile? Right. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned the, the prophetic lens again. <clears throat> Some of what these prophets are doing is showing how prophecy in a sense was fulfilled in the kings. So in Deuteronomy, sure. you have the guidelines for the kings, well, what does that actually look out when it's look like when it's played out? Well, in Saul's case, it looks like this. In David's case, it looks like this. Like this is the fulfillment of the blessings and the curses. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. This is the fulfillment of the instructions as they were played out in the lives of people. So it's not so much right. predicting that things will happen as much as saying, this is what God said would happen if you did yeah. this and if you did this. Here's the historical record that shows right. you that's exactly how it plays out. Right. It, it, it reminds me, it, you know, you talked about the, and I, I wasn't thinking about the kings, although it's very interesting what you're pointing out here. I was thinking about back in Deuteronomy where it says, you know, when you go into the land, do not give your daughters to their sons to marry. Do not give your sons to, you know, and, and then uh, sure. the beginning of Judges, it's almost exactly the very things that, you know, and it's almost a verbatim quote from Deuteronomy. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, you know, they gave yeah. their sons, yeah, in marriage and they worshiped their gods and, you know, that, the, that, that's the issue. That's the problem that they have. Yeah, you know? all kinds of connections between Deuteronomy and, sure. and the former prophets and, and the other prophetic books as well. Again, yeah. you read Jeremiah or Isaiah, and it's like they just finished right. reading Deuteronomy, which isn't surprising <laughs> right. because from the no. Jewish perspective, Deuteronomy is the most important book. 
because yeah. it's Moses's interpretation of the law, and Moses is the first right. and greatest prophet. So right. we're not even surprised that when Jesus goes into the desert and is tempted by Satan, he quotes Scripture, and all three quotations come from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Because yeah, like a good, good Jew, he's out there meditating on Moses' right. interpretation of the law. The um, law. So in some ways, this isn't surprising, but the connection between yeah. Deuteronomy and these four books is particularly strong. Interesting. Let, let me go back to so I you know like I said I thought I thought in those terms so this connection you're giving me with the kings I hadn't really thought of in this detail but we got to think talking about marriages and I'm even thinking about help me remember David's first marriages Michael is that is that that's his right. first yeah. wife okay that's right and and she's a daughter of Saul right is that is that the connection that, and so there. Yeah. yeah, even that has a political. I never thought of it in those in those terms, but it's it's not just a marriage, you know, in, in a God pleasing sense, right? Yeah, it, it and, and, a, and if you read the Samuel narrative carefully, good grief! If if you pay attention <laughs> to what's going on with Michael, there are some yeah. subtle clues that are dropped that make that one of the most tragic and interesting stories. And a lot of it relates to this idea of her playing the role of a political pawn. Yeah. Um, And again, I'd I'd never seen that until you just said that, but I'm sitting there thinking, oh, that was a political marriage, really. I mean, that's really what's going on there. Yeah. And and we, you know, we come to the end of the story where David's dancing as the art comes in and, and Michael is bitter uh, and, and despises him. But if you read her story closely, you understand yeah. why she's in that place. Um, yeah. Because she's been played clearly by Saul, but right. maybe by David to some degree too. Yeah. Mm. And he doesn't seem, yeah. And, and I know that there's, there are people who make a, something different out of that, that narrative, but I've, I've looked at that one and, and listened to some pretty interesting scholars on that, 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 uh, yeah, that's not something to be, you know, his dancing in his underwear is not something to be glorified at all there. And especially yeah. when you see what's, what's said after that about the maid, maidens and, you know, all this kind of stuff that he's, yeah he's kind yeah. of flexing his muscles a little bit there. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, With, that, you know, that kind of material from Deuteronomy really influences the reading. And, and it just reminds us too, that, that the Old Testament text were written to to be meditated on and reread yeah. again. In fact, sometimes they're called they're referred to as Jewish meditation literature. And the okay. idea there is that they're written in such a way where the more you read and the more you become familiar with the stories, you start to pick up on these earlier echoes and allusions right. and, and even direct connections that you simply do not see the first or second or third reading. Sure. Uh, but yeah. you meditate on it and you start to see these things and then the text just comes alive. That makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me, you mentioned uh, uh, Ryan earlier, the Luke Acts, uh, but it also reminds me, you know, I do a lot of narrative study of John gospel of John's kind of my area. And, and, you know, when you pointed out Samuel and Samson being laid side by side, it's the same kind of thing that John does when he, you know, for example, has the woman at the well laid right next to, um, you know, this, this Jewish religious leader who comes to him at night, you know, and they're, they're clear contrast and their stories have similarities, but, but yet they end up in completely different places. So, you know, even just thinking about the way that these stories are structured, 
structured, I think, are important. To, you know, as we think about the gospels and other you know narrative literature. So yeah, yeah, and and it happens within literary units like the Gospel of yeah. John. It also happens between literary units, yeah. and especially in the Old Testament, the the biblical authors are very aware of the earlier writings, and, and they they play off of those earlier writings. We, right. we call this intertextuality. It's when okay. um, when an earlier story is used to inform a later story. And you're supposed to interpret the later story through the lens of what you know from the earlier story. But maybe the classic example of this would be um, when you come to the story uh, in the book of Judges where you you have the story of the Levite and his concubine. Yep. Uh, yeah, and it's end, a, yeah. yeah, it's a hor- horrible story. Horrible story. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. they, go, they, they go into the city. Yeah, it's sometimes called a text of terror, but they go into the city, um, yeah. and uh, there's an old Ephraimite man. The city's in the town of Benjamin, or in the tribe of Benjamin. So it's Benjamite-Israelite territory, right in the heartland. There's an Ephraimite who's living there in the land, and he takes them into his house, and right in the middle of their meal— uh, a bunch of men, the wicked men of the city, right. the text says, come and bang on the door and they say, send out the man so that we can have sex with him. Well, right. immediately when you read that story, you're supposed to yeah. think of an earlier text. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. You're yeah. to think of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and yeah. Gomorrah. Yeah. That's right. And, and the language is even identical at certain points. Mirrors, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you can't miss it. And the conclusion you're supposed to draw is that the Israelites have themselves become like Sodom and Gomorrah now. Right, right. Uh, And and so you only understand the text you're reading in its fullest sense if you really appreciate and hear and know about the earlier text and and the way those details connect and— yeah, I, I yeah. like to illustrate it this way. I don't know if you guys are Avengers fans, Marvel fans at all. <laughs> I am. I am. I watch them. I don't, okay. I don't have enough time to to understand it all, but I, I like the movies. But it, but then somebody will point out the what you're about to do. They'll point out the connections, and I'm like, oh, I never yeah, yeah. I, I I've been sucked way too far into the, the MCU. I, do, I don't like this. I don't like the Phase Four stuff too much. But the first three oh, okay. phases I thought okay. were great. And Ryan, you'll remember okay. that great scene uh, in uh, Endgame. Where uh, uh-huh. Thanos has just beaten Thor down, and uh, Captain America has been, you know, beat up, and, and Thanos is about to kill Captain or about to kill Thor, and suddenly the the camera pans over and you see Thor's hammer lifting up, and yep. then it goes flying by, and 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 it's not going to Thor; it goes to Captain America, Steve Rogers. And yeah. when that happens, we we watch this on opening night. The theater just erupts. <laughs> well, why do they erupt? They know the illusion that comes from a movie, I don't know, seven, eight movies earlier, wherein there's mm-hmm. there's this little scene where all the Avengers are sitting around at a party at Tony Stark's trying house. Trying to lift the hammer. They're trying yeah. to lift the hammer. And there's this one little scene where Captain America tries to lift it, and you get this little squeak, like he gives it a budge. And yeah. Thor kind of mm-hmm. gives us a look. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be the only one that lifts that hammer. It, it's like a 15-second scene. But then yeah. they pick that up seven, eight movies later. Huh. And you make yeah. the connection so that you're understanding the current scene in light of the earlier scene. And the audience okay. just goes nuts 
Well, that's actually right. what's supposed to happen when we read our Bibles. We read these stories okay. and we make the connection and we're supposed to go, oh, this is, right. I never understood <laughs> it in this way. I, I see it now. I get it. Right. And right. Uh, so good storytellers know how to do this. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tell you what has been, I, I keep going back to this, what it is really, but understanding the purpose of why it was written and seeing them as prophetic, like again, Babylonian exile, I think it's like a whole new lens for us as we go right. back and, and read this in the church to go, you know, Joshua, Judges, you know, Samuel and Kings, like kind of going, this isn't just history, but like right. see the connections. Like for me, like as we've read and as we've had conversations about stuff, once you start to see the purpose and you see the connections, it brings a whole new life to yeah. it where I'm not just reading, I'm not just reading history. I'm not just reading good things and bad things, but I'm reading a narrative that is, yeah telling a very compelling message. You know, I, I've always thought of it like, yes, this is the story of God, but yeah. even to the people then as, the, as they are reading these stories, yeah. what this what this narrative is doing to them right. is, you know, and that knowing that purpose really helps me as I'm digging into scripture as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think something that helps my students, Ryan, is when I tell them when, when you look at one of these texts, you always want to ask yourself, what, what's the, the dramatic date? When did the events happen? Right. But then yeah. also, what's the composition date? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And oftentimes there's a big distance between those two. And so if you read yeah. it from just a purely historical perspective, you, you can kind of get bogged down in the dramatic date and read it through the lens of, you know, this is written to right. Joshua or to the people in the period of the judges and no, it's written yeah. from a much later time and for, for a different purpose. Uh, and right. so to put ourselves in that era of the composition date and to understand all four of these books, you know, I, I think there's some first person accounts in, in Joshua sure. and judges, but the collection, those four books as a unit right. probably didn't come about uh, until the time of the, the exile. And then that just puts a whole new light on what you're reading. Yeah. We've talked about that a little bit before with even the Pentateuch, you know, because because again we go back to the to the narrative time, you know, the 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 story time. Mm -hmm. But then you think about well, these these were written if these are written by Moses after the Exodus, you know, mm -hmm. it, it gives you a different perspective. Even you know, I've mentioned this with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the first commandments, are all about don't worship other gods. And you're coming out of a you're coming out of a polytheistic context mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's right. all they really ever ever known as a people uh you know after after jo 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 uh, uh, joseph and the family moved down jacob you know but then they're going into a place where that's the warning there they're going into a polytheistic nation and you know the the warning is you need to get rid of these other people and the gods that they worship or you're going to fall into this worship yourself yeah, so you know I, that's why we have this this command yeah yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things we forget sometimes is that that yeah. scripture was written to the Israelites that were living in this culture that was polytheistic. There were no atheists; yeah. they all believed in gods. The right. problem was they believed yeah. in lots of Absolutely. gods. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the question: or they this guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and they, you know, the question is which god do we do do we worship, and yeah. who's the one true god? And uh, right. yeah, understanding that context makes all the difference in the way you read those yeah. those narratives. Your God may have been fine out there in the desert, but, you know, this is the God that we worship here in Canaan, you know, that kind of an That's idea. That's right. So. That's right. Yeah. The, yeah I, so thanks. Thanks for this. These are, these have been fantastic. Is was there something else you wanted to say about Samuel or is that, that, uh, 
pretty much what you had in mind to talk about? Did you have another example? There's a lot more we could say, but we don't have all day. We don't have all day. So, yeah. Well, well, let me say this. We, you know, I mentioned earlier, you've got the, and I want to hear a little bit about your idea behind these retreats. You've got a couple of retreats or several retreats. Now you're doing a year, a couple of them are learning retreats. And Mm -hmm. then you have, um, um, a spiritual formation kind of retreat. So, so just tell us about what you're doing there and what, what your ideas are about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are really designed to give me an opportunity to pour into Christian leaders uh, and I've really okay. felt a calling to do that. And, and the two retreats are, are a little different. One's called the Spiritual Formation Leadership Summit. Uh, and it's okay. a two-and-a-half-day retreat that I hold at a retreat center in uh, eastern North Carolina or eastern Tennessee. But we're adding okay. one in North Carolina this spring. So I actually do those okay. three times a year. And I do three of them so I can limit it to about 50 participants. We we don't okay. want it to become some big thing, uh, but they kept filling up, so I keep adding them. Uh, <laughs> and those retreats really emphasize the retreat dimension, uh, but there's okay. some pretty solid content. I, and I try to bring some graduate-level kind of content that is on some topic relative to discipleship and spiritual formation. And most of the okay. folks that attend that are on a church staff, and they're there first to nurture their own soul so that they're ministering okay. from the overflow, and right. they, they recognize they need to be there. Um, but then secondly, the kinds of things that we talk about in the workshops uh, can be applied in their ministry context so that they can think outside of the box about how to more effectively form and disciple the people in their care. Uh, okay. So we kind of follow a monastic rhythm. I, I, we get up and we have morning uh, prayer and worship, and then we eat a meal together, and then I teach for a while, and then we go off and spend some time in silence and prayer reflecting on the teaching. We come back and debrief it, and then we worship midday and have another meal, and we just kind of follow that rhythm. Uh, and okay. I think some of your listeners have, uh, well, I know some of your listeners have attended yeah. uh, the yeah. summit. That, and um, That's how we got your name. They're like, you yeah. got to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been fun. That's the, Those have been going on for nine years now. Uh, wow. And okay. it just, just continues to grow, mostly through word of mouth. I, I don't really do any okay. advertising. So that's, that's right. always encouraging yeah. when people bring their friends. Yeah, let me ask you this. You, you say Christian leaders. So, like, who, who is a Christian leader? Does that mean is it just for pastors, or who who can be a part of this? It, it's probably about 75% church staff. Um, okay. But we have uh, chaplains, both hospital and mil- military chaplains that attend. Huh. Okay. Uh, okay. We have uh, campus ministers. We have uh, nonprofit leaders who, who are leading different kinds okay. of organizations. Uh, so, right. yeah. And then we, ha- we always have a handful of lay folks, sometimes elders, but maybe somebody that teaches a Sunday school class and they okay. just realize they, they need to take some time to grow, grow closer to God and get some new content huh. that they can share. So usually, sure. um, usually about you know, 20%, 25% are folks that are not on a church staff somewhere. Missionaries, we, we frequently have missionaries, oh, okay. sometimes Christian huh. counselors. And uh, spouses right. are invited to that. So a lot of times, nice. uh, you know, a, a staff person will bring along their spouse so that they can grow together. 
And uh, yeah, some yeah. some pastors bring other staff members, so they use it like a team retreat. And then other pastors want to get away from their team, and they come by themselves. <laughs> I, what are you talking about? Well, I could see well, I could see value in both, depending depending on the situation, the time. That's right. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. So, yeah. So that that's the summit. And then out of the summit, about three years ago, I had this idea. Uh, I, I I was realizing recognizing that really good pastors understand the need to continue to learn, to be lifelong learners. Yeah. Uh, And many of them have done some grad school, um, but, but uh, you know, there comes a point where there's no more grad school, school to do, and graduate school right. is expensive as well. Sure. <laughs> um, so I got to, to thinking, how can we offer, you know, college-level, graduate-level kind of instruction for people that want to continue to be lifelong learners so that they right. can keep filling up and spill over into the lives of their people? And then I— I got to talking with some other church leaders and, and, and different professors around the country, and, and we started to realize this phenomena that more and more churches are hiring staff internally, and right. these internal hires most of the time are hired not because they have any formal training at a Bible college or a seminary, but they're just hired because they love Jesus and can do something sure. well, right? Uh, which is great and outstanding. And yeah. you know their character and you know who they are because they've been in your church. Uh, what's missing is the, the biblical and theological training. And right. the reality is most of those folks are not going back to college. So uh, I was praying about this and I thought, why don't I just recruit some really good college professors from around the country to teach their signature courses right. in a five-day retreat intensive. And it's not right. for credit, which means you don't have to take any tests or write any papers, <laughs> but you right. get the same content that you would if yeah. you were attending like a five-day graduate intensive course. Sure. And, and and because there there's, there's no homework or assignments, we found that it really changes the dynamic of the teaching, and it becomes much more transformative and much less transactional, because huh, nobody's okay. nobody's there to get a grade, to earn a grade, right. <clears throat> or earn a diploma. They're just there because they want to learn, and uh, and because they want to keep growing in the faith. And the cool right. thing about it is, we we you get to eat meals with the professor. We have times of worship and prayer. There's sure. more time carved out for reflection. So instead of taking a test, we can spend an hour praying over the material, reflecting on it, really to let it sink into our soul. And right. so we started these about three years ago. I did the first one on the Psalms, and uh, that was just a lot of fun. Uh, we've done uh, three more since. This past summer, uh, Dr. Mark Zees, who taught at Cincinnati for, for a long, long time. Uh, he's uh, been on the Bistro, I guess. guess yeah, the bistro, yeah, yeah. He taught this past one, uh, which was on uh, land and text. And of course, he was great okay. to, you know, his experience sure. in the land and, and with uh, being an archaeologist, uh, we looked at how understanding the geography and archaeology and topography of the land impacts our reading of the text. Uh, I'm doing the next one actually on the book of Samuel uh, this spring, and it's uh, March 27th through 31st. So it's five days. Okay. We meet at Country Lake Retreat Center, which is a really nice retreat center um, operated by Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. Uh, and it's just, a, they've got a nice lodge there. 
so we have nice facilities. And again, we start out the day with prayer and worship. And I do some longer blocks of teaching, but we carve out some time for reflection and and more worship. And uh, okay. it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So like, well, if if you like this episode, the content you've right. already talked about, they should check out the uh, the retreat, right? Yeah, yeah. And we have a lot of folks <laughs> that um, I I would say the the vast majority of folks that currently come actually have graduate degrees. We had one participant Mm. last time around who had his uh, doctorate, but he just wanted to come take a deep dive into the minor prophets. Um, But we have a lot of folks, uh, lay people, that are drawn to this one, too. People who realize they're they're never going to go back to a Bible college, but they would like that level of teaching. Right. Uh, and, And they really appreciate it in a context where there's pastoral care and concern uh, and and they know you know they can have conversations with the instructor and nobody's trying to earn a grade and uh, but the pastors who come for the most part they're coming and using this time to prepare sermon series sure Uh, and and so yeah and that's a lot of fun to teach some content and then throughout the year these pastors get back in touch with you and say, well, here, you know, I'm preaching, uh, working through Amos now. We did a study on the minor prophets. I'm, I'm in Hosea. <laughs> what do you think about this? Right. This is how this is going. So it's a lot of fun to right. see the immediate application of what you're bringing uh, poured back into the lives of the local congregation, which is That's a whole cool. different dynamic from training people who one day are going to be ministers. You know, right. you're you're sitting down with people who are hungry and want things that are not only good for their own soul, but they can take back to their people yeah, in good. an immediate kind of way. And, right. and, and I will say, as a, I'm going to say a generally, I went to Bible college and I did music, right. but I had a minor in biblical studies. Um, but just I, I, as someone who is not in full time ministry and doesn't have the advanced degrees like you two, I can attest to the, the the benefit of sitting underneath someone like you, Jody, or Brian, or someone else, like to have that. Just as you've kind of showed us today, like. How long yeah. would it have taken for me to uncover anything of what you said to right. us today? You know, I've uh, been in the church my whole life, and to, to sit underneath someone who studied this and looked at these things is such an invaluable resource, even in as I lead a small group, as I have conversations, as I'm working to disciple others, like this this kind of information is so important, I think, for the church that, that we, can, um, we can each, even though we may not be full-time professional PhD or advanced studies, but that we can know the word and then we can clearly articulate it and yeah. and help our people and the people that we have influence on do the same. Yeah, yeah. And one of the cool things about the learning retreats is is um, I, I only invite professors who actually have experience serving on a church staff. Right. Uh, oh, because yeah. I, I want them to be able to teach through through that lens. They have to be, you know, experts in their field. But I want sure. them to be able to, to see how this applies to uh, life in ministry and, and life right. in the local church. And, and so this material, while it's academic in one sense, it's really taught through that pastoral lens. And I think that right. makes a huge difference as well. And, Brian, I think that makes it a little easier for, for lay folks to, to wrap their mind around it and see, you know, sure. here's how this can apply in my small group or my Sunday school or, or wherever yeah. you might it's use wh- it. 
it's one thing to be smart. It's another thing to be smart and to be able to teach it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that, you know, right. if, if you're super yeah. smart, but you can't, it can't help that information be absorbed right. by others. It's, you know, it's only for yeah. you. And so, yeah, that's yeah. great. You know, to, to, to translate academia into to real life ministry in the church is yeah. so valuable and needed. Yeah, so we mentioned earlier at the outset, we're, we're planning on going to this retreat. Uh, Ryan and I both, we're planning on, hopefully, an episode will come out of this, uh, of the Bistro down the road. And we're excited about digging in, you know, even more excited after hearing what you shared with us today, Jody, that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, going back, you know, Ryan, you keep talking about the the prophetic nature, nature of these books, but you know, Jody, also what you said that, that these, these were to be formative. These were intended to form the community of Israel. And I like, you know, what you're talking about with this retreat. It seems like it's the same kind of thing. This is a, these are stories that are meant to have impact on the way that we live uh, as, as followers of Christ, as God's people. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited about that. Spending some time with you, getting to know you a little bit better, and uh, spending some time learning learn more about David. So, yeah, Absolutely. I think I think that'll be a lot of fun. And one of the things we do, I try to have some guided reflection uh, exercises, right. and, and some of that is uh, designed to take us to 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 do some reflection on our own life and to see how this text sure. speaks to us before we ever take these texts and try to teach them to anyone else. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. So give me the dates again. That's March the... Yeah, it's March 27th through uh, March 31st. So that's a Monday 31st, through a okay. Friday. We start on a Monday okay. afternoon. We wrap up around noon on Friday. And uh, right. the, the lodge there at Country Lake's really nice. They feed us well. The evenings are free, so you can go kayaking or hike around the lake there. Oh, wow. Um, so that, that's nice. And, uh, that's cool. Yeah, I hope maybe some folks will, will listen to us. Or, or join yeah. in with us, and yeah. If they're uh, if they're wanting to get a hold of you, how's the best way to to find to find you, Jody? Yeah, well, uh, they can find out more information about the the learning retreats and the spiritual formation leadership summit on my website, and it's just okay. my name, Jody L. You have to remember the L, Jody L. Owens. dot uh, com, Jody L. Owens. dot com. I'll we'll put a link that. to it in our yeah. in our. If you're on Facebook, you can go on Facebook and find a link to it, uh, or you can go to our website and we'll have a link to it there yeah. as well. So they can click right there and, and get information about your retreat and hopefully sign up because this yeah. has been great. Yeah, great you, co- you you could come if you, well. I don't know if this is uh, you can come and, and see Ryan and Brian face to face if you want to. I don't, I don't know. We're trying to recruit people to go, not. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Wants people to go, not to be driven away from us. <laughs> No, no, we're very much looking, looking forward to it. And uh, I I do think it'll be a good, good time of learning. So yeah. Jody, thanks thanks so so much. Yeah. That a couple of really great insights that I'll be thinking about for the, for the days and weeks to come for sure. And uh, appreciate your taking your time and uh, spending here with us in the bistro today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. And I really appreciate everything that you all are doing uh, to to try to bring some really good, rich content to folks and uh, just nurture the soul of your listeners. So I I appreciate what you all are doing and and pray for you as you do that. Well, thank, thank you. you. I think we have some very similar uh, goals in, in terms of what you're doing with the education, educational learning retreats and uh, and what we're doing here. So it's uh, it's all about trying to trying to I- emphasize, um, you know, the God's people and build them up. That's, that's what we're really about. So. That's right. Yep. All, all right. right. Well, thanks so much, Jody and Brian. 
I yeah. will see you next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. And and you were gonna say something about the video. Oh, you were saying you were gonna say something else. No, never mind. I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, don't worry about it. Yes, yeah. well, I'll see you next Tuesday. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> see you. Bye, Joey.